For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Have a very interesting guest today. And I'll tell you, I've just been through the production meeting. Uh, I have a lot in common with this guy. I'm going to tell you this. So you may or may not want to keep listening, but we have Ben Brown from PFF. Ben, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Ken, thanks for having me. I've, you know, listened to, uh, you know, the podcast a few times. I know you've had a few other guys that I think very, very highly of, uh, and I've had the fortune of working with that PFF. And I, you know, definitely appreciate you having me on as well. Cause like, like you said, I think we're, you know, kind of two kindred spirits, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, which is very cool. I could, we could probably chat for days about, you know, gambling and some of these other, you know, uh, more of the glory days of prior years, I would say for sure. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. Before we go any further, I have to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. They have uh, tall boy aluminum cans that comes in uh, on a serious note. That's a very uh, important thing for the environment. Plastic is not economical to uh, to uh, recycle and aluminum is. So uh, if if you're thinking about one or the other, try and buy aluminum when you can and, and give their product a try because they've been good to us. Uh, I, I We've had Tage on before to talk about uh, WAIL, W-A-I-L, War Adjusted Injuries Lost, which is uh, the basis of what you're going to show us today. But can you maybe give us a, a, a refresher course in what WAIL is? Yeah, very much so. So, I'll, you know, kind of like you said, the 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 W and WAIL, as I would say, kind of the 
the the very important first part, and that's uh, PFF's war metric or war model, basically. And I think you know trying to assign uh, you know player values in the NFL is uh, you know still probably one of the most difficult problems that you know there's been a number of uh, people have tried various approaches, and I think that you know there's there's definitely no one encompassing I would say you know calculation or model or anything else that you know, really accurately, uh, you know, projects the value that a certain player brought to an overall team win or defeat. Um, and, and I think, but I think, you know, when looking at from, you know, a public facing perspective, uh, you know, PFF's war model specifically, uh, I would say probably does one of the best jobs. And what we kind of do is take into account, uh, you know, PFF grading, which we do, um, you know, every single play uh, on a on a plus two to minus two scale for every single facet. Uh, for every single player on every single play. And, and we take that and we can kind of, you know, contextualize that for, you know, how the performance was given, given kind of the situation of the game, the state of the game uh, and how influential it actually was to, you know, the overall direction and how that game actually ended up. So we kind of start with our PFF uh, raw grades. We normalize them for season for facet. Uh, and then we can kind of, you know, take that in from a modeling perspective uh, and assign out, you know, based on this team and their overall performance throughout the entire season, how impactful was this particular player given how much he actually produced and in this particular facet of play. So that's kind of, you know, the, the baseline for where we uh, uh, are initially are from, you know, a wall perspective. Okay. So I, 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 you said something there very, very interesting at the beginning of that, that I really wanted to ask you about the plus two to minus two scale. A lot of us who had um, PFF from the beginning, and I knew Neil when he was just starting it in 2007, and uh, it, it was it was a scale that was really useful and intuitive the way it was originally done. And we love the plus two to minus two, and that the fact that you were aggregating those scores over a full season, we understood what that meant. And PFF's kind of lost some of that with the then translating those values into a game metric on a zero to 100 scale. Uh, is there is there any chance that PFF might go back to the plus two to minus two actually being visible to the analysts? Um, I, I do think that that is uh, a possibility, I would say. I, I will say that, um, you know, you know, from PFF's perspective and in kind of exactly what you just said there, there is very much the acknowledgement that we need to uh, transform these plus two to minus two grades in a, in, in, in a little bit of a better light. And I think you know, going back and actually adjusting and, and, and working on that is something that we are uh, not only prioritizing, but it kind of in the initial stages of. Um, but I think, you know, in addition to it, especially for, um, you know, power users, I would say that there's, uh, you know, very much an opportunity for um, maybe if it's not even like a public facing thing, it could definitely be something that is, you know, provided to people if, if they find value. But from what I've heard, and it's not a lot from, you know, the product decision-making standpoint, but from what I've heard is that some people, you know, without, uh, you know, the, the certain type of math background have a more difficult time contextualizing kind of the plus two to minus two scale. That was the goal of, you know, moving more to the zero to 100 uh, approach. And, and in some ways that's, that's probably helped in certain situations, but uh, I would also say that there's definitely some holes and there's definitely, you know, some spots that have been held back, you know, because of that transition as well. So we are, uh, I would say, actively uh, engaging and interested in, in, in hearing feedback uh, on both sides. And, and I think we'll make hopefully, uh, you know, the best decision for all customers here 
um, okay. when we can for sure. That's that's good to hear. I think a lot of the old timers would really love to see the 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 raw grade come back out, and and it, it becomes more difficult to understand. And I, I understand the kind of some of the guts of it, but you know somebody has one bad game, and then they have a bunch of you know basically positive games in the '60s, and people are wondering why isn't this accumulating to anything? They still have a real negative grade. Well, it's because of that one minus eight they got, and that's those these positive grades are only plus point zero point fives. That and it takes a long time to get there. It's just it 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 obviously does a much better job when you have the actual scores per game uh, sitting there. Yeah, yeah, and I and I actually agree with you. And and in some ways, like the, the scaling between the two, it, it does. It, 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 in certain situations, it definitely probably overemphasizes you know a handful of plays at the expense of just being you know average or whatever, right? Because there's I think there's. Mm-hmm. And especially with like, you know, coverage players and those sorts of things, like having a zero grade is actually a good thing. Right. And, yeah. and we can contextualize that and we can do that in, in kind of our facet in our facet based approach and also like situation based approach. Like if a, if a cornerback, you know, has a zero grade in this situation, that's actually a, a net positive overall for their defense. Right. And kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, contextualizing that is, you know, still very much something that we're, I would say, actively solving as well. Right. So. It should. It's it's good to hear that. I mean, it should be a continually evolving system. If you want to get something this complex, you know, done properly, I, w- I would imagine it would take decades to you know get it right. Right. right let's let's move on and go back to the to the whale thing because uh, you know what we heard from from Seth as I mentioned Tage uh, before. I always want to call him Seth. It's terrible, but um, before was was the was how severely teams have been injured. This is opponent whale. So we're, we're, we're trying to understand how teams have benefited from playing opponents who are significantly injured, right? Right. Exactly. And, and that's kind of the context for it. And, and, and it is still very much, I would say, you know, based and built on the approach that Tej and I took initially to kind of build out whale, whale and, and, and understand, um, you know, the, the impact that that team's injuries had on their overall performance, or at least what we would expect you know, those injuries to have on their overall performance. So, uh, but, but in saying that, like we can still, I would say, you know, in the context of, you know, PFF war and everything else, we can still, I would say, gather new and insightful insights as far as not only like how the injuries impacted this particular team, but how the injuries impacted their opponents. And that was, and, and what we're kind of referencing now is, uh, you know, this chart that I tweeted out, um, you know, uh, last week, basically at this point in time, uh, one is, uh, you know, week to week view of, um, you know, uh, what an, what an opposing team faced from a whale loss perspective. Uh, and then we also have, you know, the, the overall season aggregation uh, for how much whale, you know, that opposing team, you know, essentially faced or essentially lost because the, because the other team's injuries. So, you know, the graph we're looking at now, uh, you know, specifically with the Ravens, they are, they do have like the fifth most, uh, you know, opposing whale face through the first uh, uh, nine weeks of the season, basically, they have been, you know, we, we would consider, you know, somewhat fortunate. Uh, the, the thing with the thing with war in particular, and then, you know, kind of filters down to whale as well, because of it is that, you know, the 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 relationship between a quarterback and the rest of the team is, I don't want to say it's overvalued in, in the war calculation, but it is still very much, you know, a, a big driver of, you um, 
of some of the higher values that we see from a whale perspective. So, you know, teams like, you know, uh, the Rams and Vikings specifically have had, uh, you know, quite a bit of injury luck go their way because they haven't had to, you know, face off, I would say with, uh, you know, the first team quarterback, um, first team quarterback that uh, was kind of expected originally for that match that they played in in any particular week. But uh, if we go back to the week to week timing, it's actually kind of a, I would say a little bit of a different story specifically for the Ravens. A lot of, uh, a lot of the higher up teams have been driven, I would say, you know, by, by quarterbacks being out. Right. And if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals specifically, you know, in week two, they faced off against, you know, a, a Dallas team that was fresh off of, uh, the loss of Dak Prescott, and you see a pretty big spike, you know, in, in, in the whale face for Cincinnati's perspective because of the Dallas uh, injury situation of the quarterback. That's not really, you know, as much of a driver, I would say, from uh, the Ravens' perspective. Because, you know, the second, I would say, the second and third most important positions um, from from a from a war perspective are uh, cornerback and wide receiver. And I think that, you know, some of these early situations that kind of pop up from the Ravens perspective is one because not a lot of teams were you know all that injured I would say to start the season so they are a little bit above the average but also uh, they kind of uh, you know ran in I would say to a couple teams specifically kind of at the start of season that were uh, you know very much I would say either banged up along you know the offensive line secondary or at the wide receiver position just based on where they would relatively be at uh, if they were all healthy or whatever in the situation so um, it's, 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 it's interesting. I think that, you know, the, the Ravens are, are one of the few teams that it's not like, you know, a huge quarterback discrepancy is, is driving a lot of their high numbers. It's just an overall, you know, accumulation of, you know, guys like Byron Jones being out for the Dolphins in week two, right. guys like Vernon McKinley being out, you know, at, at, at cornerback and free safety type positions, uh, you know, being out the guy, a guy like Jacoby Myers, who was, you know, I would say is very much the, you know, the best receiver that the Patriots have kind of being out of the fold for that game in week three. They don't have Kyle, Kyle Duggar either, you know, at, at the strong safety position. So the, the, the weird thing about, I would say the Ravens specifically is the um, driving force behind how they're arriving at such a high number, I would say. Okay. So I, I have a methodology question in that. And the Ravens, of course, have already played the Browns and they'll play them again. But they, the, the first time they played him, it was with Jacoby Brissett. And that brings to mind the notion of what would Deshaun Watson's war be projected at? Higher than Brissett the second time around or, or what exactly? It would very much be higher, uh, higher than uh, Brissett. And I, I did specifically, and this isn't in the first tweet, but it is in the second tweet. I did remove Deshaun Watson from this particular graph just because he does, I would say, kind of skew things. Uh, he does skew things specifically for the Browns because he honestly was really good the last time he played football, right? And it has definitely been a while. And we do try and. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team 
drank other stuff, and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take liquid death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Contextualize the performance based on the time period for in which it kind of happened. I And I don't think I really said that well, but basically like we're 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 trying the the whale calculation is trying to kind of downweight performances that are f- further extended out into the past right so even though deshaun watson was really good you know it, in 2020 or whatever like the whole year off from 2021 and now it being kind of a year and a half it is downweight slightly but he honestly uh was grading like a top three uh quarterback from a pff perspective at that time and did have a really high uh you know overall war value in 2020 and even in 2019 i think it was you know one of the better quarterback seasons you know we've seen from a pff grading perspective so he is you know very much i would say um you know a piece for for the Browns specifically, but I think, you know, I, I did remove him from this graph, but it's, uh, you know, one of those things where he would very much, I would say, be skewing it, you know, pretty heavily towards the Browns being by far the most injured team, you know, or injured slash suspended slash missing guys uh, sure. team in the NFL. Well, let, let me maybe ask it this way then, since he hasn't played now in a couple of years, how much, how much do you regress or how much do you wait and what do you wait with? Do you wait a league average quarterback? Do you wait him with a, you know, a Jacoby Brissett instead for his misplaying time? Do you, how do what factor do you weight into the not 2020 um, Watson that you put into his expected war for this year? Yeah, so we would be, we we kind of like weighed him against. Uh, I would say like a blend of we have both you know a a a, a wins above average and a wins above replacement. So it's kind of this blend between uh, replacement and average level quarterback play, and, and trying to downweight him and bring him a you know like you said regress him a little bit back more toward uh, a league average setting is basically okay. um, you know you know the the approach that we're trying to take basically. But there's still you know there's still a little bit of his expectation you know baked in. Um, because of that and and we see it you know we kind of seen it we've seen it with you know other guys not it's obviously not as dramatic with Deshaun Watson specifically but uh, a guy like Ronnie Stanley as well right has been really Mm -hmm. good uh, you know at the tackle position does have a really strong you know PFF war has a really strong pass blocking and run blocking grade but also really hasn't you know played a whole lot in a couple seasons right and I think that you know he is kind of another example of it's like how much should you downweight the team based on the fact that this guy has been out for so long? Right. And, and at some point it's like, they almost kind of need to maybe figure it out or at least have figured out like a secondary solution, as opposed to looking at a guy, you know, that's, that, that's suddenly out for the season or that's suddenly out for four weeks, like, you, you know, like the Cooper cup injury or something like that. So there's definitely um, the, there's definitely some, uh, you know, regression baked into the calculation to try and handle that. It might not be doing, you know, as good a job as it needs to right now, but it's something that, you know, uh, definitely continue to try to evolve. And I would say understand better, uh, you know, the injury situation specifically from that sort of context. 
Okay, very cool. I just want to know how it was done. And, and bringing it back in a Ravens perspective with Ronnie Stanley, I really appreciate as well. Obviously, we missed him greatly and, and are happy he's playing as well as he is in, in his return. So you mentioned weeks two and week three. It's, it's some receivers. It's cornerback, a little bit of offensive line from those games. Interesting, they still couldn't win the Miami game in week two. I'm, am I looking at the right one? Ravens are the third one, yep. And then the New England game, yep. obviously a bunch of players missing, and they did get that done on the road. Um, so uh, those two games tower above the others, right, in terms of, of uh, relative to expected whale? Yeah, they are. They are definitely, uh, I would say, skewed highly and definitely kind of pop out. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the surprising thing for me is the the Bills game specifically kind of ends up back, you know, closer to the mean. But that had, you know, I would say a number of, um, you know, injury type situations, especially in the secondary, it just probably doesn't have like the, the volume of players uh, missing and especially for week four. But, you know, guys like Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, you know, Xavier Rhodes wasn't in the fold for that game either. Um, so they, you know, very much, and the, and the Bills are still very much, I would say, beat up from a secondary perspective. But, uh, you know, th- those three games specifically, I think, are, you know, very much jumping off the page. And and, and if we removed, I would say, quarterbacks from the whole calculation, uh, I think, you know, for the most part outside of, uh, you know, the Bills game or the, the Bengals game specifically uh, and the Jets game, of course, that the, the Ravens would probably be, you know, above league average for that particular week every single week other than that. Hmm. And and if have you gotten to the point yet where you're integrating this with the whale for the team lost and have like a net whale kind of figure that you're producing? I have not done that yet. And I I I I was actually kind of, you know, and it is cool to, you know, be able to talk to you know really smart people as well, like yourself, and kind of get some of these ideas. And it's something that I've I would say initially thought of the my my one I think hang up, I guess, is how to visualize it best in some ways, but also just like mm-hmm. making sure, you know, th- th- that it's, that it matters as well. But I think that it's, you know, very much something that I, w- I can do and I will do. And I think also like from a research perspective, like, you know, the, the differentiation between the two teams, Wales, you know, in a particular game, like how much does that matter in, in influencing maybe even like the spread, but also like the final outcome, I think is, you know, a very good, uh, and worthwhile research topic that I'll probably pursue this off season. Okay. So we didn't mention this at the top of the show, but, but you're also head of gambling products for PFF, right? Yep. So I am, uh, I recently, I guess, uh, moved up to a, the head of betting innovation. So yeah, if there's any, you know, if anyone has any problems or anything with, you know, specifically green line or player props tool or really anything else, you know, specific to, you know, uh, sports betting on PFF, I, uh, uh, can definitely be the man that you, uh, you know, initially try and connect with. Cause you know, I, I love to hear, you know, not only what our users are finding value in, but also if there's anything that, you know, could be, you know, improved or changed upon or something like that is, you know, very much something we are open and also hoping to hear from people from. Mm-hmm. Now you, you and I have lived through an evolution here of, well, okay. I, I'll say I have, you haven't probably of an evolution from Alex Karras and, and Paul Horning being out for a full season of the NFL for betting on games to NFL owners completely jumping in bed with gambling as a, as a huge source of revenue. And if you look at what's out there in terms of opportunities to fund podcasting, to, you know, fund a lot of Twitter, uh, what, do, what do you call it? Um, influencing. A lot of that yep. is, is gambling based. Um, do you think the NFL will ever come to regret this decision? 
So that is a, I think it's a really good question. And it, you know, in some day and in, in some ways, I think it was probably the, maybe the initial concern and why it took a little bit longer is, you know, once you open, uh, you know, Pandora's box or whatever you want to say, like there really is no way of, of turning back. And we've seen, you know, I would say, you know, relatively recently, you know, some of the, some of the downside of that, right. Like with the Kelvin Ridley situation, obviously is, you know, something that the, the NFL very much is trying to come down hard on. I think even like you saw, uh, I'm not even going to say it correctly, but uh, you know, the baseball player, I think bet close to a thousand, you know, different times basically on various MLB games and stuff like that. Like there is risk. And I think like you said, with, with, with the dollars that are being thrown around and everything else that kind of brings out, uh, you know, some bad actors. And I think things could definitely, you know, in some ways get derailed, but uh, I don't think there's anything going back. So I think that, you know, what, what we need to see is uh, the league take uh, a much more active and probably, you know, sound approach to how they're going to actually deal with sports betting. And I think it's not only, you know, players specifically because players are very much, you know, allowed to, you know, wager on other sports that they're not involved with, right? Like Kelvin Ridley could, for example, you know, bet on basketball if he wanted to because of the collective bargaining agreement that the NFL Players Association has in place. But I think, you know, some of the some of the real concerns as well is when, you know, there's there's other team level employees who are, you know, betting on specific things and trying to sway that. It is very much, I would say, you know, something that uh, the league still probably needs to to work to make sure it's not happening whatsoever. And I think, you know, putting, you know, measures and certain, you know, barriers in place and everything else can do a lot. But until we have, you know, a, a completely sound uh, approach, I think we're going to run into, uh, you know, quite a few problems, I would say, but we'll see. Now, ne- never have an audit trail that you can really get down to the to the base of this, but um, penalties at the stiffest possible levels have been done for crimes against the game. And if you think about, you know, Deshaun Watson's penalty was eleven games for the for the you know misconduct issues. Whether you you know whether you believe that or not, it's it's of a a, a greater societal um, negative from a, from a and when i say that i mean in terms of what what kind of criminal uh accusations would potentially come from it it's a much greater than any kind of gambling thing you would have no you wouldn't be ever prosecuted for betting a thousand dollars on a baseball game uh but the the game has to remain clean and and you know baseball got it right very early on i think with with you know handing out lifetime bans uh to a broad group of players during the the early 1920s Whereas, whereas football has gotten it right a couple times with these one-year bans, but you know it's going to come up again and again. I'm afraid, and right. Calvin Ridley is a is a you know a bad instance, but a good reminder of a not very serious seeming violation will cost you a year of your livelihood. That'll hopefully keep a lot right. of the players out of this mess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully it is. And I think that you know no one wants to be pleased with you know everything that they do or whatever. But I think getting getting a much better understanding of, you know, the, the, the players that want to bet and the, the and the process in which they actually do that and, and making sure it's all documented and, and, and above and above the table is, you know, from my perspective, one of the only approaches to really have, I would say, lasting success or whatever. So maybe the league moves in that direction. I don't think it's just for players specifically. Like I said, there's, you know, a lot of team personnel and everything else that, you know, very much should be, uh, you know, looked at as far as, you know, the, the conversation for how do we avoid this as, as often as and as best as possible, I would say. 
All right. Always great to have a guest like you on. We, we, we get into some great tangential <laughs> topics. I've never, we've never had this particular topic about gambling and the sport really here. We've only tangentially in some, some other things, but it's a, this is some great thoughts. Um, tell us any more you have about, about uh, opponent opposing whale or whatnot. Uh, you know, maybe what you plan to study next, if you want to talk about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but I think, you know, we, we have this, this whale metric or something and we are still kind of, you know, I would say building up, uh, you know, a historical injury database that I feel really confident in, right. And that we have really confident data and then actually going in now and back testing it and seeing, you know, based on our whale projection for this team in this particular game, like, does this actually matter to, you know, is the spread taking this into account from when it opened to when it closed? Uh, are we seeing line movement in any one direction because of the, the whale differential between these two teams, but also like, you know, on-field matchups, uh, are they being impacted by some of these whale things? Can we see, you know, grades, grades kind of, you know, maybe be influenced by the fact that some of these guys are sitting out and the replacement there, you know, isn't as good as the starter. And and how much does that actually drive, you know, the overall outcome for the game? So I, I think those are, you know, kind of the initial questions is like, how does it kind of influence the spread uh, in, in any one direction? And then like, is there, are there specific, you know, facets where, you know, critical injuries happen that are, you know, much more profound to the overall game outcome than, you know, what we, what we currently have understood or measured, I would say so mm-hmm. far. So I guess I, 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 now two more questions have come to my head here. And the first is, um, I think many people, and certainly I think most NFL GMs would tell you that the replacement level at any position um, degrades over time during the season as, as players are lost. And you lose players for the right. full year. In particular, if you try to go out and find cornerbacks in December, good luck, because there, <laughs> there just right. isn't anybody left. That if you want to find a left tackle in December, you're even more SOL. So you know, it's just in terms of of where you are. I notice there's that I'm trying to follow the the um, line of dots, and I, I'm assuming that's an expected whale um, level on this, and almost seems like it goes up, then it go it, till midseason, then it kind of trails off down a little bit again. So that's, yeah, that would basically be like the league the average loss per whale for that particular week. So okay. I think, you know, it, it, and I, so it is interesting. Like I do kind of see, you know, I would say a similar pattern, right. In a lot of ways. So it does seem like at least right now we kind of, you know, peaked, I would say in that week five, week six time period uh, and, and have kind of trailed off a little bit in some ways, you know, going back to it, uh, that could be, you know, uh, I would say, um, you know, uh, in some ways pulled up because of the, you know, like the Dak Prescott injury and the Mac Jones injury and, and some of those quarterback ones that are kind of pulling that league, league wide average up. But I, I think looking at it from both, you know, the quarterback with the quarterbacks included and then non quarterbacks, I think would kind of be, you know, the, the two interesting approaches to really see if, you know, we see that, that sort of trend, I would say, continue throughout the course of the season. But, you know, going back to it again, I know we, uh, um, I know we talked about it, but yeah, that's probably another research topic is looking at, you know, yeah. w- what, what is, what is the impact as we move or progress through the whole season? Yeah, that it's, it, it's, I think it'd be fascinating because it's multi-tiered because you, you certainly generally lose players, but there's also the mechanics of IR and PUP might put you in a position where you have certain weeks where you expect to get talent back. And, you know, week five, for example, for people coming off a four week injury to start the season weeks, you know, 
whatever it ends up being nine or seven, eight, whatever it ends up being for people coming off PUP and, and no. uh, being able to play. So I, I, I'd be fascinated to see what you come up with on that. I'll, uh, I'll uh, certainly be, be making sure I, I follow your tweets going forward to see what I see. Awesome. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate it. Ken. I love, you know, obviously, uh, you know, getting, being able to talk about uh, this stuff and, and even like the gambling and everything else. I think it's been, you know, a, a pretty big pleasure of mine as well. So uh, anytime, uh, you know, either, either on the podcast or in the DMS, I'm uh, definitely open to, you know, talk, uh, talk or discuss any of these things that we're, uh, you know, kind of talking about here today. Very cool. Really appreciate you coming on, Ben. High, high quality content and uh, appreciate it. If people ought to follow, he's, he's, at PFF underscore Ben Brown, right? Or Benjamin nope, Brown. That's it. Ben, so I, I I confuse people going back and forth between uh, Ben and Benjamin all the time. But the, the the handle is PFF underscore Ben Brown. So Ben Brown. All right. And you you hear him talk. He's a very nice guy, obviously. And I'm sure he'd, he'd uh, be able to give you more in terms of uh, direct contact on Twitter. So please give him a follow. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, be on with me. Any topic you're passionate about, you don't have to do what Ben has done and, you know, very high level analytics study. Just something you're passionate about, about the Ravens, franchise building, whatever it may be. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get back to you right away. Always looking for an extra couple of shows per week uh, to put out on local Ravens fans, their content uh, specifically. Ben, thanks again for coming on. He's giving me the high five. So I'll talk to you next time. Oh, sorry. Thank thank Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.